Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 36, Someone Worth Believing In. This week we're discussing series 3, episode 7 of Doctor Who, 42, and season 3, episode 1 of Buffy, Anne. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, we're starting out with Doctor Who 42. Doctor Who 42. No, um, so, okay, the obvious thing, the immediate thing that I thought of, and I'll say it, is yeah. is Douglas Adams' life, the universe, <laughs> and everything. The answer um, to life, the universe, and everything. Yes. Although, if only we if only we knew what the question was. Well, precisely. So, um, just wanted to get that out of the way up front. Um, mm-hmm. No, I so in watching this, I actually um, I picked up. I know there's a number of significant like numerological <laughs> pieces to forty two. So, um, I that may even be one of them. Um, yeah, um, and I think especially because for two reasons. Um, uh, one, I wish they had developed. I wish they developed a little bit more the hitchhikers connection that you could have had a lot more fun with the number forty-two. Yeah. But well, and the, the one, fact the... that the doctor is an itinerant, you know, being himself. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, not exactly but a hitchhiker, but he the... picks up hitchhikers from time to time. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and the one reference I thought could be there is the fact that so much of the plot depends on answering. You know, finding answers to randomly generated questions sure, kind of sure. kind of plays it with that idea that the the villain is or one of the villains is a is a pub quiz you know which is kind of a <laughs> fun idea but the other thing is that um, Douglas Adams was a script editor and a writer for Doctor Who in the nineteen seventies mm. so a lot of the humor that is invested in the show um, you know kind of is to do with him and derived from him and, you know, sure. And, and, and they continue in that vein today. Um, you know, he has a couple episodes which are considered classics. Sure. Um, the other one, which I think more classic maybe, than the usual classic who is class, classic. Yes. Who. Classics, even among the classics. So beloved episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, the other, and maybe you have, some other ideas of the numerological significance of 42. But the other one is that it's a reversal of um, 24. So, and think of how the parallels between this episode and 24, that this story happens in more or less real time mm-hmm. because the average running time of an episode is about 42. It's, I mean, I think it's really 44 minutes, but... Minus enough, title right? and credits and that kind Minus of stuff. Minus titles yeah, and yeah. everything. So so basically the episode happens in you know, we don't we don't jump forward that the whole episode takes place in the span of a mm-hmm. single episode. And which and is, you get that feel with the countdown. The Yeah, the with the counts and the, the pace, it's just reminder. this kind of thriller. And and that's basically the premise of twenty four, that you know, the series twenty four with Kiefer Sutherland mm-hmm. takes place over twenty four hours, which is approximately the length of a season of television right one hour per one season equals one day in his life and again it's that same thing of 
the constant clock counting down and it's a thriller and you've got to beat the clock and achieve whatever, you know, whatever problem crisis has to be solved. You've got a set time in which to do it. So they're kind of having a little bit of fun with reversing that too, I think. So those would be some of the, you know, major, I think, significances to the number, but I don't know enough about numerology to say whether 42 has any other Yeah, no, I, and, other than and to I was, Douglas Adams. I was using numerological in, in a sort of facetious way. I, I don't think there's any other necessary significance. I mean, there could be maybe if you go through all the different numbers that the countdown, you know, because there's very specific times when they insert the <laughs> countdown uh, yeah. you know, amount so that you know how much time's left. Maybe if you went through them or maybe if you went through, um, like how, you know, how many doors was it that they had to open in, in this, that certain amount of time. And yeah, and, right. You could come and up some with of the, else, um, yeah. you know, some of the answers, at least the first answer that we get the doctor trying to help out with, right. Is his happy primes and all of that. So right. there's definitely <laughs> a, there, you know, there's this funny sort of, um, And numerological, I mean, you know, it's that it's that sort of uh, medium between fantasy and science. Right. It's like, you know, you can find all Mm. of the you know, there are these sort of very scientific numbers. Uh, You know, you think of like the golden ratio or the golden mean or something like that. And and, you know, these numbers that seem to have significance throughout natural occurrence Mm. but then also you get these people who try to look for meaning and just say you know find these numbers in different places and you know i don't know come up with like dates for the end of the world based on the number of times jesus says the word the in the bible or something you know and obviously i'm being overly facetious with that but you know there's there's a there's a significance four numbers in, in, in both science Mm -hmm. and fantasy, certainly. And there's, um, in the real world, obviously there's, there's certain significance, but then there's also significance that people just sort of give to numbers, whether, you know, that's not necessarily inherent in the number itself or the way that it's used. So I, I think we could spend plenty of time looking for those sorts of things. (laughs) I think we've done enough at this point to point out, you know, Douglas Adams why, and, why and the length the of the episode and the reference yeah, to 24. Yeah. I'm yeah. satisfied with that. Um, anyway. All right. We now spent six minutes and 42 seconds talking about it. No. Um, anyway. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to sort of point out before we get into discussion of the characters, though, was around the parallels that uh, mm-hmm. come, out, come out in um, specifically to... Uh, the impossible planet from, from last season um, and, and the Satan pit. So that was the two part episode, right? So kind of together the story um, mm-hmm. brought, but yeah, you, again, you have, so you're into the future somewhere you're in some other galaxy, you know, at a point where humanity is expanding still. Yeah. Um, seems almost frontierish in, yeah. in so far as, which again, the impossible planet did as well, right? I mean, it was kind of it, these were explorers. They weren't. It wasn't like established civilization. Seems kind right. of like the same thing here. Like these are people who are kind of out on the brink. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're 
they need to have fuel and if they don't get the fuel they need they will die you know like it's not yeah. It, yeah. you know it's and and they're able they're far enough away from any sort of central authority that they can do what apparently is an illegal thing and scoop uh you know power yeah. out of this sun which is what gets them into all kinds of trouble to begin with right and you can kind of tell like the 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 rusty ricketiness of the, of the spaceship mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. um that alone sort of suggests the kind of how outside of you know the uh, mainstream civilization yeah, they yeah. are yeah that they're kind of existing you know hand to mouth on the fringes you know that there's there's something kind of fireflyish about it that you know not that you know I'm, I'm obviously <laughs> no, firefly would... is a much more developed you know world because we only get this for a certain episode but right. there's something kind of similar there that well yeah you you i mean you could almost see this as taking place at the same time as the impossible planet in just and that's exactly what i thought was it the design of the spaceship and of the space suit that the doctor wears suggest Mm. that these exist in roughly the same time period right right and that they're maybe just in different galaxies or star systems or you know parts of the galaxy from you know, where they're, each thing is taking place. So, yeah. So definitely yeah. um, saw some parallels there. But then also the, I mean, so in The Impossible Planet, right, they're getting slowly sucked into a black hole. Here they're getting slowly sucked into a sun, which is just a black yeah. hole that hasn't become a black hole yet. <laughs> you know, right, like right. it's 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 just a star that has yet to collapse rather than a star that has yeah. collapsed. So um, similar kinds of things there. And of course, and then, the monster is technically, you know, a different thing because it's like the star itself, apparently, but it's mm. still like this incredibly, um, y- y- you know, uh, massive being or whatever that like they don't really have any control over it. It's not until they figure out how to make things right with the yeah. monster that they're actually able to go anywhere. Well, and you have the 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 idea of the possession that even though this isn't a mon like you know obviously the 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 devil or Satan or whatever he was mm-hmm. the 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 beast in the pit was you know more of a monster in the sense that he was a malevolent being who was looking to escape or and you know kill people or whatever the, I mean this is more a, just a a being in nature that's defending itself yeah. but you still have that idea of it can possess you and mm, you know mm-hmm. so you you have right. you know we had the ood in the impossible planet who were or, and toby who got taken over and, and toby, kind yeah. of did its bidding and toby um whereas here you know again the crew are sort of being taken over and taken out mm. one by one right um yeah yeah no that's right i so yeah, the the possession part of it definitely is is another parallel. So okay, um, I don't know what all to do with that, other than to say that there are those. The, so then the other parallel being that you get this um, crew, right? It's not just like one or two. It's not like we're talking about like oh, they meet Shakespeare and have you know gallivant mm-hmm. around London with him. It's like now you have like five or six new people. <laughs> that you have to keep yeah. track of. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. 
of which like three or four of them die within the first few minutes. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that, which that helps one or two it, are actually important. Yeah which, yeah, which helps keeps it manageable, I guess, from a, you know, who you're trying to relate to perspective. But um, I did find it, I think I, I was saying to you right before we started recording, I did find it a little harder. Um, and, and you suggested that because it's only a one episode uh, story rather than two episodes like Impossible Planet and Satan Pit that, that maybe, you know, we're not meant to focus as much on the individual uh, mm. characters who make up the crew, you know, sort of the ensemble of the crew itself, but rather, you know, right. how the doctor and Martha and, and those few crew members that they primarily interact with, um, you know, what that says about the two of them. And then also, um, you know, throwing in the conversations that Martha has with Francine. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You get, I think because, and again, maybe that's, maybe this is because it had a longer time to develop, but the impossible planet um, story feels like it's more concentrated in world building. Like it wants you to know about what is the, the relationships of the characters on board. How does, you know, what, what is the captain going through versus what the scientist's goals are versus what the, you know, mm. the military guy, that it wants you to kind of understand all those relationships and then put them into crisis. Whereas this one is much more strictly a thriller. You're not really meant to sit and linger and learn about the world. You're meant to understand that right. they're already in crisis and now they're just going to get picked off until and you, you do know, sort of until get, they can escape you do sort so. of get the predefined roles right you get the captain you get the med tech you get yeah. the helper you get you know yeah i don't know maybe not all predefined but you know what i mean like right like, some of them you're not quite yeah, sure yeah some but, of them are yeah. just kind of like crew member <laughs> red and, red and, shirt and, you know whatever right and i've watched this episode a few times and i mean I couldn't have even told you all of their names yeah, before. Yeah, no, you know, I had I've to seen look it, it several up. times. I had to look and I had to like look them up and pay attention because I don't know that other than our main characters. I mean, I actually I think this episode is very character driven for the main characters, but I don't know that it's meant to really you know, focus on the supporting players as much. You're not really meant to get to know them at any length. Um and even though I've seen it a few times you know i definitely had to sit and pay attention and take notes because i wouldn't have been able to tell you which one is yeah, which yeah um so that's just a different you know the focus is different on in this story i think so um all right so as far um, as like the situation all that and any anything else you want to point out before we get into the characters themselves i do um i want to point out that this was uh the first episode that we have written by um chris chibnall um and he's pretty important because not only will we see him write several more episodes in doctor who in the future um but he was also the head writer for the first two series of torchwood um huh. which he had started working on before this it was kind of he was working on torchwood and then they commissioned him to do an episode for okay um, for series three. So this is someone with a huge amount of influence in the Torchwood story, you know, and we've kind of talked about how the two are somewhat interrelated, you know, maybe not, maybe not as much as Buffy and Angel, but mm -hmm. obviously 
you know, that makes him an important person, you know, in the, the who universe, I guess. Um, so this is his first Doctor Who episode. Um, and then actually, people might know him um, recently in the last year, he wrote this uh, uh, British crime drama series called Broadchurch, um, which was excellent. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, and it stars David Tennant and also several other who faces who people might realize um and it's actually going to be they're uh gonna develop an american version of it for next year um called grace point which is going to be filming in the spring so um if anybody hasn't seen that go hunt it down and check it out um because it's very good so um just wanted to make sure that we acknowledged him and we'll definitely see him again um, so someone to keep an eye out for. Very, very interesting. All right. Well, so doctor, let's start with the him, doctor. the doctor. He, uh, yeah. so yeah, some nice, uh, little paralleling or not paralleling, but, um, uh, uh, enclosing, uh, framing, uh, going mm. on with the beginning and ending there, um, in the whole, the frequent flyer privilege mm-hmm. uh idea uh, and and also i guess there is some paralleling with rose but it, um so at the beginning of the episode right he does the jiggery pokery to martha's phone mm-hmm. to give it uh universal roaming yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i laughed uh at that at that um and, yeah. <laughs> and she was pretty excited understandably excited about that yeah. uh, especially it seems like and again, you know, we have this situation where we have to compare to Rose because we don't have anyone else to compare to. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. like even more so, it seems like not that like Rose and her mom were obviously close, but like for Martha, we've already seen how much yeah. she is a part of her family and how much the rest of her family relies on her. Like, so yeah. it's it's that point of connection seems like it should mean more to Martha than it would. I mean, it, so insofar as you can put that sort of subjective, you know, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or objective um, level of, of meaning, you know, for some, I mean, it, it is such a subjective thing. So, you know, how, you know, is it nine for Martha and eight for Rose? I don't know, you know, but it's right, whatever right. that is. Like it, it does seem like a more significant mm-hmm. thing for Martha, given her role in sort of the whole family well, and dynamic you, you, that she has. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of this, but you think of Rose. Um, I think this was before she was still, this might've been in the episode Rose before she even had universal roaming, but you think of Rose. Um, I think, is it after they get attacked by the mannequins when she calls her mom mm. just to hear her say she's okay. And then hangs up on her. Like Rose is the type call home and want to have a big long chat with mom it's just she wants to know that she's okay and keep tabs on her whereas you imagine that martha is we've already seen the type to have you know probably to call her mom several times a week and have big long discussions about what they're doing and you know that's more so that might be a more significant thing for her to be connected to her family mm-hmm. and what's going on back home and everything. Right. Yeah. We, and with, um, with you don't, Rose... you don't, you can't imagine Martha doing that. You know, you imagine right. that if Martha called, it would be a, 
uh, you know, a sit down long discussion about, you know, what's going yeah, on in well, her life and everything. Yeah, and I, I, know, I mean, not that we've seen Martha enough to really know one way or the other, but yeah, I mean, de- definitely that that constant connectedness to her family, mm-hmm. you know, that she's always available, that she's there to talk through or work through the problems that they have. That seems to be the first thing we saw with, with Martha yeah. is, is working through those different things. But, um, you know, at the same time, we also get the sense in this episode that because she does call her mother three times in one day and kind of jokes about it, like, yeah, you know, that maybe that's a little excessive, but, but yeah, like yeah. definitely, definitely get the sense that, you know, she doesn't go more than a few days without talking to at least mm. someone in her family, you know, um, even though she's not the the partier <laughs> that, that yeah. uh, you know, as, as we've discussed before, like she's not necessarily someone who goes out a lot, but still has that connection. Um, mm-hmm. And then so the, the other bracket of this framing device being the receipt of the TARDIS key at the end. Um, and again, a frequent flyer privilege. So, um, (laughs) and I, I don't remember which episode. So, sorry, let me say step back. I do remember that it was the end of the world where the jiggery pokery happens with Rose, but she doesn't get a TARDIS key till later. Right. I think it's in Aliens of London. Okay, which is like because I think the it's next when episode, the though, right? the doctor is gonna go. He doesn't want to have dinner or something, and and he's gonna go back to the TARDIS. And Rose is worried that he's right. not gonna come back. And he says, "Well, here you can have." He doesn't a want it to become too domestic. Domestic, yeah. right? Which again feels like more of a a. A casual thing, mm. like, oh, you want a key? Here, you can have a key, no problem. Whereas this is well, and it's also there's this to, th- this culminating moment of her earning the key. That this is she's proven herself worthy of the key, you know, and it has the this kind of emotional significance for her. It, it is kind of casual in in a way um, with Rose, but it's also for the doctor to you know, avoid having to deal with, you know, like well, the domestic yeah, stuff. True. So like, and, and so it's like out of inconvenience, he's giving her, <laughs> or or right. to prevent an inconvenience, he's giving her right. the TARDIS key. Whereas here, you're right. It, it definitely is more along the lines of you've earned it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and not even like, I don't know, like you earned it almost like even trivializes it to a degree. Like, no, it's, it maybe not, Maybe not you've earned it in the sense of like a perk, but like this, he trusts her Mm -hmm. and you've, you've earned it in the sense that, you know, like in a literal sense that she deserves this Mm -hmm. um, and she's worthy of it. And, and that's interesting because one of the uh, things that I noticed is, is that here we get um, when Martha is going to go off with Riley and the doctor just says, be careful. Like we don't get previously, he's been very reluctant yeah. to have her help or to have her. Mm. And, and you can say, well, that's just part of the situation. It's because they're on this ship with very few people who can do anything. So maybe right. that's part of it. And that, that could be a valid explanation, but also it seems to be that there's a level of trust and also, and having given that level of trust, she comes through, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, yeah. 
Well, and and for her too. That I mean, think about even recently with the Daleks, how terrified she was to be separated from him right, when, right. when he goes off. So it was the, both this time, versions, and yeah. and for her too. This time, it's not a big fuss. It's just well, you know, this is what we do. We're in a crisis, and we're going to go and help where we can. And that is just uh, that's sort of how it operates. And there's no, there isn't that that moment of fear at, oh my God, we're, we might have to go in different directions. It's just sort of a practical, you know, casual decision mm -hmm. that clearly this is the best way to, you know, like you said, he says, be careful. And she's like, okay, you too. And then it, no fuss is made about right. it. Um, and that does feel like a, a different, that's not something we've really seen before. I think not, not between the two of them. Yeah. No, the two of them. Yeah. No. Um, so she does go off and the doctor sticks around, um, but they're still in communication like through the ships. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, comm system or whatever. But, um, the, uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. The doctor's pub trivia doesn't seem quite up to par. Like he gets the happy primes, but he doesn't know that Elvis had more hits than the Beatles like that. That <laughs> seems a little undoctor like. Uh, would you have known that? I don't know that I, I would have known I that. I actually guessed Elvis before we got the answer. Okay. I would have I, if, if, I, I, known. That seems like a reasonable thing to not be sure about. <laughs> known. Well, I, yeah. And of course, I mean, like you expect the doctor to say, oh, Elvis, of course, because I hung out with him and, you know. You know yeah, yeah. Like and he talked about the it all Beatles the time. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, John Lennon complained that Elvis was always having more hits than them or something like that. Right. And also <laughs> yeah. it probably depends on whether you use an American or British charts, perhaps. Although, you know, I sure. don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's all taken into account. But um, the uh, – no, like I, that that was more of an answer I expected, not a hemming and hawing and then an ultimate, I'm busy here, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I did I did guess Elvis. Um, oh, good for you. So, yes, score one pub trivia point for me. <laughs> no, I, but it was a guess. I, I can't say that I knew by any imagination. And, and part of the factor of my guessing that was, they probably expect people to think it's the Beatles. So I'm going right, to guess Elvis. Right, that's the trick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, all that... Well, you, you learned something all new that, every All that episode, said, you? you know, I didn't know anything about Happy Prime. So, you know, I, I can't really complain yeah. too much. But it, the doctor's line about, don't they teach recreational <laughs> mathematics anymore? It reminds me of... Um, of the, professor. the professor in Narnia. Yes. The, what do they teach in schools these days? Yes. Like you don't you don't know Plato. You know what's wrong with yes, you? Yes, you know <laughs> precisely. Um, yeah, no, it, I got the same uh, remembrance as well. So, yeah. um, but when Martha is in the escape pod and it's yeah. slowly being pulled away, and there's the 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 they're they're facing each other and yelling to each other and neither can hear the one or the other um which is kind of uh it's kind of interesting i hadn't really thought about how much this episode has to do with like communication i mean you've got them talking to each other through the comms on the spaceship you've got martha calling home and everything mm -hmm. 
And then to have that moment of just silence when right. they're screaming to each other and they can't hear each right. other. No, I thought um, that was well done to give you yeah. that sense. Like, cause, cause you can often get, um, in, in si similar types of scenarios and other visual media, <laughs> you, you would get the one yelling to the other, but it's the outside perspective knowing, you know, that you can't hear them. All you can see is them saying yeah. something. Yeah, no, I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a really effective of that pod. What a horrific idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to get stuck in an escape pod and just jettisoned out with no control. Um, yeah. I always find that really scary. Well, and then, so, I don't want to get and talking about Martha too much yet because we'll talk about yeah. her in a bit, but, um, the, the, then to still have the faith that he will rescue her, mm -hmm. um, which is Dag Nabbit again, another <laughs> parallel to, uh, the, the Satan pit, you know, to, yeah. the, you know, the, yeah. the faith. And in that instance, it's the doctor having faith in Rose that she'll do, the right thing that he yeah that he can only do what he can do and has to believe that she will do what she needs to do um, yeah which actually after the doctor does his heroic rescue is again what happens because again it's hard to imagine another companion being as competent as martha is in this situation with you know with the doctor being as you don't really see the doctor ever this vulnerable, terrified yeah, and vulnerable yeah, yeah. and incapacitated that that's really rare. And, you know, you need, you need Martha with her calm under pressure, you know, that she's used right. to her medical emergency like ER room training. situations. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it does actually, even though it is about her faith in him, it's also about his faith in her. Like, I love that moment when they're running to when she's trying to figure out how to work the stasis chamber and he says martha where are you like mm. just having her there is a comfort yeah. that he wants to know where she is mm -hmm. yeah uh, no i that always sticks out to me i think that's right because i mean and part of that's brought on by his vulnerability but you, you can even see you know at the end where well i have some questions about about his near regeneration, I guess, or whatever we want right. to call that, but um, sort of belaying those for the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Like he, he know, knows or strongly suspects that he won't get out of this alive or at least in the same form that he's in now. And so yeah. even then he's, he's, he's telling her what to do. And, and like, you know, part of it is, he can't not have faith. Right. It, like all that's right, yeah. literally, well, that's true. And that's, but that's the same. I, I was going to say, that's the same with Martha. Like she literally cannot do anything when she and Riley are in that escape pod. There's literally nothing else to do, but hope and have faith that he will rescue them. Yeah. And then it's reversed. And then it's literally yeah. everyone else will die. And the doctor can't do anything about it. And all he can do is tell Martha, what she needs to do and hope that she can do that. So um, yeah. definitely some interesting 
kind of flipping around and 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 each of them pulls through in their own respective ways mm -hmm. um but i do want to talk about the regeneration or the near regeneration because like mm -hmm. there's many there's well many there's several at least references to it right because he like he almost tells her he he says something about um you know there's yeah. this thing that happens when when i'm getting ready to die and like he he comes really close to telling her and she's like Shh, don't you know i'll take yeah. care of you like we'll fix you up don't worry about it whatever and and she uh, clearly she doesn't know what he's about to say because you know she doesn't know <laughs> like right. it's yeah, just she right. just doesn't she know. stops him um, yeah 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 that's not gonna happen don't yeah worry whatever right and she may think that he's delirious <laughs> or whatever at that point anyway um but is that so so the implication is there is seems to be there that he feels like he's pretty much on the verge of death at that point right i mean like if he's getting ready uh, yeah it's a it's a a strong enough possibility that he feels compelled to tell her this might happen so brace yourself if it does so i strongly suspected going well i mm. i i mean i know that david tennant doesn't leave at this point <laughs> Okay. in the show so like uh-huh i was pretty confident that he wasn't going to regenerate here but yeah. my question yeah, yeah. would be is at the time mm -hmm. you know like i mean do we get and i sorry if i've asked this before but do we get like mid-season regenerations do we get like i'm talking even a classic who because obviously there's only been one up to this right, point but right. like would that have been a legitimate fear of someone watching this or would that be something that um, um, I want to say probably not because it's usually pretty public knowledge when a doctor is going to regenerate. Okay. Um, so I think the savvy viewer who pays attention to the internet would probably know that, but maybe someone who doesn't know that much about the show that could be a legitimate, mm. you know, like if, if, if someone was just watching for the first time and didn't really know anything about the wider context, then that could be, you know, kind of a, you know, a, an almost fake out moment. Okay. Um, so, but, so like, um, it, like, but generally I think if you pay attention to the news, mm -hmm. um, a viewer will generally know when an actor is, is leaving the show Moving and so on. yeah there's a regeneration yeah. so there's an element of the regenerations which are and i mean and i think we talked about before that um that christopher eccleston's regeneration leaked that russell davies wanted that to stay a secret um that he was only going to do one season and it didn't it, it ended up leaking to the press so even when they try to keep it under wraps that's a hard thing to do. So a lot of times they just will own up to it because they figure they can never. Right. So this isn't like, well, and, and part of, part of my reason for asking is because like, I don't think it's necessary. Like it, it just becomes a different message, right? If, if, if you don't know, if you know that there's not going to be a regeneration or strongly mm. suspect that there's not. Yes. Um, then, then the focus still become then the focus becomes again more on that communication it becomes more on what the what he's about to tell her about regeneration and what 
he ends right. up not yeah. telling her about it. Um, yeah. And, 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 yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. the character stuff of how, you know, how does he act when he thinks as, cause I mean, you know, he, right. He doesn't know. He, yeah. You know, before Martha's <laughs> able to dump all the, whatever the sun particles or whatever they are like, he's crawling presumably towards the TARDIS. And so my mm-hmm. other question was, does he have to be in the TARDIS when he regenerates or is that? No, no, okay. he does not. Okay. Or was that like, maybe that was just more a comfort thing or like, cause he's crawling away from the stasis field. Right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I guess he's, I don't really know where he's going to be honest I, with you. I took it, I, mean, I took it to be that he was going to, like he was trying, trying to, get to get to the, to the TARDIS. TARDIS. But I Got mean, it. again, there's. And that could be, yeah, it could be a comfort thing. I, it's definitely not that he has to be in it when he okay. regenerates. Um, so, yeah. So where he's getting to, I think, is up to viewer interpretation. And to the TARDIS seems like as good a place as any because well, and that's, that's and, his... And now that I'm, that's I'm trying his, that to think about it... That is his comfort zone. I don't know why I thought that's where he was crawling. Like, it, that just seemed right. like obvious to me that that's the where he was... The logical place to go. Crawling yeah. towards, but... Now that you say that, I I guess I can't point to a definitive thing that made me think that. So mm. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um. Okay. Interesting. But but I but again, I just wanted to sort of point out then that if if the regeneration isn't from a viewer's perspective a real possibility, although mm. I think you know, obviously if we're if we're in the secondary world, we could see that as being, you know, yes. certainly to yeah. him a, a, a fiction. For him, um, it's a possibility. You know, yeah. it's a possibility. But uh, <clears throat> I do think that, that that makes it interesting that it becomes a, a different thought process there than about what what's going on with the communication. Just again, with what you pointed out that, you know, so much of the so much of the story is about communication in this episode. Um, yeah. So. Very interesting. I like that. I hadn't really thought about that, how your perspective as a viewer sort of changes you know the story in that way but i like that um anyway should probably talk so with regard to the doctor i too i I wanted to bring up sort of his relationship with mcdonald because he he's Mm. like he so you kind of we talked about the crew a little bit earlier really the only two members of the crew that we have any significant interaction with are mcdonald and riley and the doctor interacts with mcdonald and martha interacts with riley so in in regard to mcdonald um well and corwin but it's like corwin monster not you know corwin mcdonald's husband yeah Um, don't know anything about corwin other than that he's married to mcdonald so um with McDonald, though, I, I, just a couple things we want to bring up is um, it, it, I thought it was interesting when the doctor was trying to sort of dither about, you know, whether or not Corwin could be saved. And, and she she was the very practical ship captain, you know, don't don't tell me <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you just, or just tell me basically is what she was saying is, you know, don't, don't try to soften the blow here. Just tell me, can he be saved or not? So kind of gives you the, the sense of her practicality, but then mm. to compare that with her sort of refusal to accept responsibility and yeah. which both goes against that personality 
that she seems to display in wanting to know about whether Corwin can be saved, but also against her position as a captain, you know, yeah. who is supposed to be, you know, the last one uh, to say, right, buck stops here kind of thing, right? She's right, she's the right. one where the responsibility is supposed to lie. Uh, so, so, I don't know, I, I, I just sort of thought that that was interesting, the, the, those aspects of her personality, but then then the the refusal to accept until the very end and then the whole idea of her leaving the ship to save the ship mm. rather than the typical the captain goes down with the ship right right so right, yeah. it, it becomes it becomes sort of a, a turning the the focus on its or turning the trope on its head so to speak um you know she, she goes out with corwin slash the monster whatever right well it's almost like she is in this sort of denial about what's going on i mean mm -hmm. she kind of denies that it could be corwin and she denies that they've done anything you know the doctor even says like aren't fusion scoops illegal and she kind of doesn't yeah the yeah she deflects. And, and it turns out so it's almost like because of her sort of bad decisions as a captain and her bad leadership it's like she has to leave the ship for it to be safe. Like rather than go down with the ship, her you it's know, like she's already her most absolved, captainly uh, moment is to just yeah. abandon ship, and then well, and it's almost like it's she's that already that given it, up yeah. her captainness. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a way, like she's she's yeah. already. But in doing those things, she's no longer like an authentic captain. She's she's given up her right to be called captain, so to speak. Yeah, and, and I think it's one of them, Riley or Scandal or one of the other, says, without you, none of us stand a chance of getting out of here. And it's like, that's not true at all, actually. <laughs> they, they actually, you know, she, in a lot of the ways, kind of is a hindrance hmm. to them figuring out Well, yeah, she be, she lets herself um, become one, certainly. Like, yeah, yeah. And, maybe and that wasn't the always end, the case, but certainly it is right, by the time right. we meet them. Um, and then, you know, at the end, they don't need her. They they get to the engines and they bent, you know, they bent the engines and they kind of restart it and get out of there, mm -hmm. you know, on their own. So it's, she's kind of, a, again, to make a Satan Pit parallel, she's kind of a contrast to Zachary, who was sort of a reluctant but good leader, you mm -hmm. know, whereas... This is someone who seems when you first meet her to be all authority and competence. And then you find out it's all a front for all these things that she's not admitting to everybody. Mm. Yeah. Well, so at least she does the right thing in the end. She does. Um, she does. But again, her doing the right thing is to take herself out and well yeah i like mean you said abdicate you know? yeah exactly that's yeah he, um and actually so well and this might be a good segue into talking about martha but i also want to bring up sort of the the final conversation there just or the final before the final conversation that they have where he gives her the key she comes in having just kissed uh riley she comes in mm -hmm. the tardis and it's kind of like okay let's you know that was a close one. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, and then like, he's very like sullen 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, oh, and what does she say? She said, well, then we didn't really need you then, did oh, we? Oh, yeah, we didn't really need and, you. Which uh, is, again, sort of an interesting parallel with what we were just talking about with McDonald, um, where, mm, yeah. where it was her leaving out. But, of course, that's not true. I mean, they did need the doctor. Um, anyway. If only to tell Martha what needs to be done, <laughs> you know they still yeah, yeah like yeah. I, I mean his his presence is a little bit more important than McDonald's a little was. a little more essential um, yeah and and because he figured out what was going on um and got the escape pod back and got the which escape pod certainly back. helped yeah, yeah. Martha's which case I just have to say <laughs> I'm no engineer uh-huh. or anything but putting the <laughs> escape hatch on the outside of the ship. to ship magnetizing button on the outside of the ship just seems really inefficient i'm just going like to throw a, that out there a flawed design seems a little bit flawed but anyway yeah, no yeah, um anyway right. what i was getting to is is the doctor's sullenness and broodiness mm. in that moment i i guess i just want to ask what's your take on that because I don't, I'm not sure I understand, like, like, is it the near death experience? Is there something else? Is it the fact that Martha's outside the TARDIS kissing Riley? Is it all of the above? Is it something else? Any, any thoughts there? Well, I can't pretend that I have any thoughts about what it is that he's thinking. The only thing that might kind of help along those lines is something which in one of the special features, David Tennant said was that you know that that it is interesting to see the doctor that frightened and that vulnerable but then the doctorish thing is to then swallow that down so i don't know exactly what it is that he's thinking there mm-hmm. but well sure but, and i mean it would be conjecture in any case i was just well exactly was... yeah i mean i could speculate but i don't know but but then the kind of interesting bit you know, what that suggests to me is that the interesting part is that whatever it is, it's then don't talk about it. On to the next year. Yeah, Where are we off to next? Just snaps We're off out to of here. It. And, yeah. and he snaps out of it. And then it's almost like Martha catches him in a little moment of some sort of introspection like, yeah, or reverie, yeah. or contemplation or whatever. And then when she says something, it, he does snap out of it. And then, you know, Martha's prompting to say, are you okay? He just sort of blunders past. And so, you know, so we don't really talk about it. So I don't really know. I mean, I would I would guess it has either something to do with the the near death or the the effect of the possession. That there's some lingering, you know, whatever. You know, maybe some lingering sure. bit of alien consciousness in there that he had contact with something or I don't know. That is all speculation. Okay. Well, then I guess we won't speculate much more. Um, <laughs> we're at time. We haven't really talked much about Martha. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I guess just, I mean, we kind of talked about her and the doctor and, and their, yeah, yeah, their yeah. stuff. So I guess the only other thing that I would throw in there is um, obviously, you know, the the relationship that she the well I don't even know if you call it a relationship because we know they're not going to see each other again <laughs> between her and Riley right. but like the the could be the subjunctive relationship right the thing mm-hmm. that could happen um 
between the two of them um, is is interesting. And of course, she's we've like we've talked. She's all about interpersonal relationships and interpersonal relationships. I mean, and 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 with her family and stuff. But at the same time, like we've also gotten the hints that she's not really up on the romantic side of things like because mm-hmm. we you know we've seen like tish comment about her bringing a date to you know the the big event that she's hosting and um you know uh she doesn't have a date for her brother's birthday party and that kind of stuff so just yeah. uh uh yeah just some interesting stuff there that that she seems to be the one giving advice but you almost have to sort of question like <laughs> how much <laughs> does she know about it but it's yeah. also advice that she's whatever. Well, and and maybe advice isn't even the right term because she's just sort of saying how she feels about the doctor. Right. And I think that's where maybe the, the, the key point is, is that she's relaying things that she's learned since she's been with the doctor. Right. It's she's yeah. in the short time. Well, I mean, not that short anymore, but, you know, in, in the short time that she's been with the doctor, she's come to trust in him completely a hundred percent. And so that's a basis at least for relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. And then of course you get Riley saying at the end doing, doing the suave. Well, I reckon I already did find someone to believe in. Um, Yeah. And, and, and she kisses him and then leaves. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what much, what else there is to say about that, but it, like I did have that sort of questioning moment of, well, okay, but we know she's not great with relationships, but it is sort of something that she's learning along the way, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else uh, you want to add. No, I think you covered. The only other thing I'll say about Martha specifically is that she's really annoying when she's trying on the phone with her mom to get her mom to answer and doing the, Oh, just give me the answer. That like, well, sort of I don't know. If you're about to crash into the sun, the guy is freaking out on the phone too. Perhaps. <laughs> um, do you? I don't know what there is to say other than to acknowledge that her mom has yes. uh, people listening in on their phone conversation. Yes, so. definitely wanted to mention that. So thank you. Definitely want to mention um, that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't know who they are. They apparently there's like these quasi government types who apparently work for Mr. Saxon. Hmm. So Yep. They're there, they're listening. Right. They take the phone that she's using at the end, which we don't know necessarily why. Like I can't imagine that I mean they can't use GPS cuz they're not on the world, you know, to like right. track or her down. Or in the same <laughs> Or in the same, <laughs> or in time. the same time period. So I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that <laughs> phone, but um, yeah, I mean, more hints and and illusions and well, things and, left unsaid. And again, again, with that theme of communication, that you have Martha thinking she's going to die, calling her mom, and just wanting to have one last conversation and tell her that she loves her, and you know, I mean, because she's you know, this isn't really about a conversation. This is about, you know, bugging the phone and everything that Francine's not really listening. You know, it's, it's sort of 
she's trying to tell her how much she loves her and Francine's trying to mm. figure out who are you with you know are are you with some mates are you with a doctor what, what you know what's yeah. going on and so right. what mates you get what this, mates would you be out with yeah. right you know and then and then eventually she asks so many questions prying questions that Martha just cuts off the phone call yeah. so you you get again that idea that they're having two separate conversations and they're talking at each other, but neither is really picking up on what the other one is saying or implying. Mm. Um, so again, kind of interesting that theme, I think in this episode. Very good. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, I guess, Should we transition? I guess we will move on. All right, to Anne or Buffy or whatever we're calling it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Buffy Anne. So, <laughs> Buffy Anne. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. The first thing I want to point out about this episode is that I think you can see Joss becoming a little bit more confident about his own abilities or or the what he thinks the production can achieve, or maybe both. Um, you can kind of see him his direction becoming more ambitious and cinematic, um, mm. which is kind of interesting. Like, as we go into the third season, I think there's a lot of set pieces in this episode which are meant to sort of show off a little bit. Like, you know, that in as a new season starts, look at, you know, what we can do now. Um, so you get things like, uh, that, um, long take in the beginning, which I didn't time it, but it had to have been several minutes, mm -hmm. um, in the school it's, you know, goes yeah, from the library. I think it's about three and a half minutes, which is a pretty okay. long take for That's a long, it's a very a long TV. take. A lot of different, a lot of different people, um, having to all kind of hit their marks and get their timing mm -hmm. and, you know, keep things running smoothly. Um, sure. Which I know he's done. Uh, I mean, he did that in Serenity, um, and he he may have done it in Firefly too. I can't remember. I, I know he's done that since, but it's kind of cool to see. Ooh, this is probably the first time he tried that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting. It's neat to see him sort of develop as a filmmaker um, and to kind of start to push himself a little bit and to put faith in what the cast can do and what the you know. Yeah. His, his team can do and everything. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, so um, I just want to mention to that. So the set of um, the interior of Sunnydale School definitely grows um, throughout, <laughs> in, definitely in the second season. And there's in one of the um, special features, I think, in the discs, they, they talk about like literally the length of the hallway getting, you know, longer and stuff. So like here you do see it as a definitely more integrated thing. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's interesting. That's a good thing to point out, but sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I... Well, and then the other one I would point out was, I mean, both the set of the kind of, I don't know what to call it, that underground realm, mm -hmm. um, just the size of that. Um, and then again, that whole sequence, I mean, the, the guards chase Buffy for an extended amount through the set. And then you get a really long and complicated fight sequence at the end. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
again, it's just a, this episode had, even though the story was smaller than some of the ones, I mean, you couldn't say that this is a more epic story than Becoming, for example. No, no, but, certainly. But, but the feeling of it, the way it was shot, felt bigger. Hmm. You know, felt like, you know, it just seemed more ambitious. Yeah. So, um, it's, I just wanted to point that out, that I think that's pretty cool to see, you know, that, you know, Joss is sort of growing and developing in that way. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. And I think that, in a way, that sort of has to go with some of the themes in this episode, because, um, one, we're also outside of Sunnydale, right, with Buffy. Yeah. So one, one of the things that I think you and I have talked about, um, but not on our podcast is that I see the progression of seasons and Buffy as, you know, as a growing up sort of thing. And I think even with going from the first season to the second season, we saw getting away from that, um, you know, monster of the week sort of feel metaphor Mm. of the week sort of feel into some more complex themes of love and relationship in the second season. Um, you know, as part of the growing up process. So, you know, Buffy's getting older, the problems that she's facing are getting more complex and, and that sort of thing. And now (laughs) we're seeing not just, you know, high school problems, but we're seeing outside world problems. We're Mm -hmm. seeing there is a larger world to the context. And I don't, know or remember if it's even mentioned in the episode um but buffy's in los angeles um Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily important like now like it could almost be any city that's bigger than sunnydale you know that has sort of a slummy area but um you know it it does become more important like for the buffy verse overall especially when you get into angel and stuff but but i think one of the things that we'll continue to talk about and, and continue to see as um, Buffy as the series goes on is that there is this idea of, you know, you're growing up and you're seeing more of the world and you're seeing more problems and, and, and the problems become more difficult and how you deal with it is, you know, part of, I mean, he goes right back to, you know, Whistler and what he's saying, you know, it's the moments it's, it's how you deal with the things that come along and they're yeah. not, you're not going to go back to dealing with 10th grade problems, right? <laughs> you're right. going to hear. Well, <laughs> and I mean, even though I presume Buffy will somehow get back into going to high school, you know, at, at the same time we get a, we get a taste of the post high school world mm-hmm. in this episode. She's having to, uh, hold a job and have an apartment mm-hmm. and living on her own. And I mean, so much of this episode is about taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and being self-sufficient and both the, that, you know, that that can be a problematic as well as an empowering thing. So, um, yeah. well, and- it's kind of, it's kind of cool to see a little hint of that, even if, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get more of that once they graduate, but, um, but we're getting, a slight tease of that kind of idea that as we go in and maybe it's because we're going into the senior year that it's start to time to start thinking about that. What are you going to do? How are, you know, you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself pretty soon. Yeah. Um, well, and, it, you know. and, but there is that idea too, that there are kids who drop out. There are kids who, yeah. you know, go on and, and, you know, we sort of 
find out that it's ironic, but we get that from Ken's, you know, discussion with Buffy, you know, this is not a good place for a kid to be. They get old yeah. fast here. Um, you know, they, they, something drains the life out of them. Um, you know, yeah. and, and it's despair. And, and, you know, he just talks about that, that idea of people being sort of thrust or going willingly into the world sooner than perhaps they should um, mm. or are meant to be. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely that is, uh, I think you're right. Part of the, the set itself is to show, you know, things that are bigger, things that are more complex, things that um, show a little bit beyond just the main characters, you know what I mean? Or even the familiar yeah. secondary characters. Like you get that one teacher who has just the one line, you know, during that long shot of, you know, uh-huh. we're back in school, you know, you must be somber. <laughs> you know, Very it's like, somber, I don't yeah. even know if we see him ever again, you know, but it's right, like, yeah. but it's just this idea that, oh, there are more teachers than Giles and well, Jenny, you know, like, you know, which right, Jenny's yeah, obviously yeah. not around anymore, but you know, like, yes, this is actually a school full of teachers and, and you are going to mm. randomly run into people who you may not know as well and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but interesting, but yeah, then, and then on the practical note, yes, they're into season three of a show that is waxing in its, uh, popularity and, and mm. so they have more money and time and production, yeah. uh, ability to spend on things like that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think more, confidence you know that they mm-hmm. they're only going to get the writing the writing and the direction and the production are only going to get stronger as they you know as they grow up too you know as they kind of become mm-hmm. confident in their abilities so, figure out a little more what what they're trying yeah. to say yeah yeah no i think that's all so, part of it should we actually talk about characters at any point do you think we should okay yeah Okay. Yeah, if you want to. Well, um, I, whatever. So I thought there was another. I thought there was another. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see this episode starting in starting the season in a similar way that when she was bad started season two. Mm. That again, you have Buffy leaving Sunnydale for the summer after you know a traumatic event um, and having to kind of fight off some sort of depression that, you know, that she has to go off and deal with her issues before she can come back. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a, I'll be interested to see how many times that repeats. That's almost like a little yearly cycle that, that she's going through. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe, and maybe, yeah, I hon- maybe that's I'm, as far as it goes. I'm trying but... to think. Cause I, I honestly don't know how much more that happens. Um, <laughs> In other seasons, so that's I can't okay. I can't think off the top of my head. Um, well, but in any case, she hasn't told this time. I mean, it's definitely different. She's not just gone to right. recharge and hang out with Dad for a while. That she's actually run away and not told anyone where she is um, and is supporting herself. Um, so that's very interesting. Um, yeah. Um, the it is interesting because we you know you almost wonder why she doesn't seek out her dad right. and yeah and i mean we've seen 
like he hasn't been around much, right? I think the only time mm-hmm. we saw him was well, we saw him in Nightmares, one. right? Yeah, and then we saw him when she comes back at the beginning of season two. There uh-huh. was a very brief episode, and then there's a mention, a couple mentions maybe of him, uh-huh. um, it, other than the flashback in Becoming Part One, uh, which yeah. I don't, you can't really count that because that's not current, right? <laughs> um, right, there, yeah. There, like there's the mention in Ted. Mm-hmm. Um that Buffy wishes her mom and dad could get back together. And then there's like nothing really after that, that I can remember off, off right. the top of my head. So Joyce's line about you're lacking a strong father figure. I mean, yeah, now that's through is, the, that's through the filter of Joyce's perspective. So we have to take that with a grain of salt. Right. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's also Joyce is in sort of a state of shock at the moment too. Yeah. You know, so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Anyway, so yeah, yeah so Yeah, but but but, you know, I mean, and not to say that she doesn't have not to say that she has a bad relationship with her dad, but she doesn't go running. But there to doesn't him. seem to be um, a very I mean, that seems to be somewhat applicable what Joyce says, the yeah. lack of a strong like yeah. he doesn't seem to be around. Like you know, since nightmares we haven't ha- heard anything yeah. more about buffy going to see him um except again between you know the summer between the seasons one and season two so mm-hmm. we don't know if during the whole of season two if she's even seen him um in right. that year so um just to, right so he may not even if he may not be a bad father he might not be particularly a strong one either yeah. so um so, I mean, maybe part of that is that kind of lack of, I mean, but Giles certainly helps to make up for that. Although Joyce, yeah, well, questions, well, we can talk right, about that a little bit Buffy, later. Like, I feel like so, we could go down a whole nother. Yeah, right there. no, we could um, go yeah, off so, on that so path. I, yeah, I guess all that's just to say is like for some for whatever reason, or or maybe it's just because she knows if she goes to her father, then her mother is going to know. Like maybe there's a subconscious yeah. of. I don't want anyone to know where I am, which certainly seems to be when she meets Lily. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, she's definitely, and that's probably a big part of it is she wants to go somewhere where she's anonymous, Mm -hmm. where she can hide and change her name and have complete isolation and, um, and not have anyone trying to help her or change her mind or convince her to come back or do anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you get her waiting under an assumed name, um, and you kind of get, I think, the moment when you really realize, even more than her kind of uh, sullenness, you you get, uh, I think, the moment when you really realize what she's sort of going through or what she might be going through is when the guys in the diner hit on her and slap her butt, and she kind of looks over her shoulder like you think she might do something about it and then she doesn't yeah and and that's the moment where you're like okay this is a changed buffy you know that you know and whether that's her apathy and not caring enough to do anything or whether it's holding herself in control because she doesn't want to draw attention to herself Mm. you know that the old buffy would have had a remark to say about that so that's kind of an indicator of you know, 
her desire to just let it be um, and to not fight right. and to not stand up to the creeps and the bad guys and stuff. Right. So it's kind of a subtle little indicator of, you know, right. what the character's going through, I think. And, and that's, yeah, like, so, so yeah, I think you're right. Like that's sort of the initial thing that you get, but then you get all of the resistance that she actively gives to Lily when, yeah. when Buffy is sort of forced, like this is the first of all the people who would find her. It's right. this weirdo this last, worshiper yeah. of vampires who is now so in love with this guy that she went and got a tattoo, you know, that yeah. matches or that matches up with his. Um, yeah. And she doesn't even really remember Lily yeah. slash Chanterelle at first. Um, yeah. Uh, neither did I. So it took me a minute it, to kind of place it. Once once she said it, I thought, oh yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Now now she's familiar. I do remember her, but yeah, um, yeah. And but at first, I didn't either. Notable that that was also the so the episode that she was in was "Lie to Me," um, which mm -hmm. was also written by Joss Whedon. Um, mm -hmm. And I will say that it's not the last time we'll see Chanterelle slash Lily slash now Anne. Right. Um, okay. So, um, anyway, I've, because you do forget about her and that's kind of her character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of her character yeah. is that right. she is a forgettable person. Um, she is, she's certainly not one of the main people we knew in mm -hmm. lie to me. Um, you know, yeah. she was kind of off to the side, um, and kind of hung around the main people and same thing here. It's like she knows Buffy or at least knows of Buffy and remembers her because of course, Buffy had a significant impact on her life. But yeah. for Buffy, it was just ugh, another idiot. I saved another person yeah. to save. And yeah. well, and not and, even and, like, and once the situation is resolved, once, you know, the, the, the vampires are beaten, the cult is disbanded you know, Buffy, my work here is done and we don't think about it anymore. And then you see Lily and you realize there's a whole bunch of confused people who were suddenly left with this sort of mm -hmm. vacuum of purpose, you know, mm -hmm. not that that means what Buffy, you know, that not that that makes Buffy's actions wrong, but that you don't think about those people who are suddenly, I mean, you imagine it's a lot of people like Lily who seemingly go from cult to cult that she says yeah. like i was with this preacher for a while and then i was with yeah you know and then i was with this vampire and that was lame but but now i'm with this guy and he takes care of me and clearly that's not lame like she's right she's in whatever is going to take care of her in the moment whatever strong-willed charismatic personality is closest that's who right. I'm going to gravitate towards. And and when that one gets knocked over, she's going to wander until she finds another one. Well, and, um, and we see how, well, we hear about how well Ricky takes care of her, right? So yeah, can yeah. we get cake? No, we have to have something healthy. No, Let's get pie. Yeah, we can get like, pie. He's, he, and he's, then go 
And then go donate our blood. Yeah, and then we'll donate blood for a few bucks and stay in these abandoned, <laughs> you know, apartments or whatever, or, you know, whatever yeah. building. Like, Which, again, I mean, I take as, isn't there something with, you know, that Buffy says you like the sugar rush and she says it's nice. Isn't that, I feel like that's something with heroin addiction that you get, um, I don't remember, like, the, mm. the, the chemistry of how it works, but you think of, um... In, have you ever seen Taxi Driver with uh, Robert De Niro? Yeah, I mean, um, a while ago. With the, the Jodie Foster character, who's like the 12-year-old prostitute, who's also, she she puts a whole bunch of jelly on her toast and then puts like a mound of sugar on top. And that's something that she, Jodie Foster saw, she hung out with this teenage prostitute to kind of get into her role. And that's something that she used to do all the time, was just put tons and tons of sugar yeah. on her. And it's something to do with, you know, whatever the physicality of what happens when you're addicted. So you get the idea that this is the kind of, Lily's got a lot of issues, mm. you know, and yeah. Oh, yeah. both personality and substance ones. Um, so it kind of hints at, you know, what kind of life she's living. Um, and definitely this neighborhood seems to be you know, full of people like that. Right, right. You know, that this is not a nice part of L.A. This is, this is the very seedy part of L.A. Yep. Um, and, and so, yeah, so we see, you know, again, how well, and of course, and then Ricky's gone, right? Ricky can't even take care of himself. <laughs> so, yeah. like. Yeah, it's, I mean, for Lily, it's not about who's taking care. It's anyone who says they can take care of her, she thinks can take care yeah. of her. And really, they're they're taking advantage of her. Um, it's not taking care at all. Uh, you know, I mean, especially with someone like Ken, who preys on lost people, right. you know, by saying he can take care of them. Well, and that's, it, you know, and that's interesting because it's, like, that seems to be what gets... Buffy to actually act right I mean so she she agrees to help Lily but it's kind of like okay you know yeah. yeah we'll we'll go look at a few places and and whatever like she's expecting to find that Ricky just up and left like you like you know on yeah. her like Ricky skip town lady just yeah. come on yeah. let's let's not be that naive right but then yeah. it's yeah finding Ricky and finding him used up, right? It's that the mm -hmm. idea that, that he's, you know, the life has been stolen from him. I forget the exact phrase she uses, but you know, like Lily asks, yeah. and of course Lily going back on the very limited experience she has, Oh, could it have been a vampire? Well, no vampires don't, yeah. you know, suck the life from you. They suck your blood, you know, but they right. don't like, yeah. they don't drain life from you. Like this is something, um, something different you know something different definitely and so that's like that seems to be what intrigues buffy is like and intrigues might be the wrong word but at least gets her acting right on her own that's when she goes down um mm. you know well i mean she right. and lily have, have the fight just... but it's like now buffy can't leave it alone anymore right it's it's that who's using people in this bad way like right and we've talked about that before like that buffy's jurisdiction if you want to call it that is over the supernatural so she she does kind of begrudgingly help when 
she thinks she knows what she's going to find. Right, it's which is a just, mundane missing person. It's a mundane, yeah. he, he left or he got arrested or he whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that... It, you know, there's any number of and the more you learn reasonable about Ricky, the less you want to look for. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, actually, it's probably better if Lily doesn't find him again. But um, <laughs> but but then you're right. As soon as she realizes it's something which is out of ordinary experience, it does become her responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know that it's not just begrudgingly helping Lily because she feels bad and you know and can't say no it's that you know like it or not her job is to look into this kind of stuff yeah um so it is kind of good to see that that some of that responsibility is still in even though she's trying to deny it um she can't help herself that when she finds something which is you know supernatural it's just in her instinct to investigate. Yeah. Um, and then the crisis ends up actually kind of bringing her out of that fog, you know, that having to sort of fight for her life and, you know, rescue people and help them escape, you know, by the end when she's, you know, if if the moment when he kind of, hits on her and she doesn't do anything about it is when you see how changed she is. The moment she comes back is when they ask her who she is. Right. What's your and name? I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. You know that that she's back. Yeah. Right? Maybe not Right. She's unchanged. not trying to be Anne anymore. She's not She's not nobody and she's not somebody else. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, that's clear. And that's, I mean, yeah, of course, that's a great moment. You're like, yes, okay, come on, kick their ass. Yeah. And she does. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's that's all. And, and and of course, that's right after Lily has already accepted immediately without having to be told that she's no one. Right. Yes. Like she's yeah. it's all she almost accepts no one as another new name. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like it's it, names to her. are Well, and man, we could get talking about names and stuff and mm. with regard to Doctor Who, too, you know, and everything. But like, yeah. you know, the idea of. Lily Chanterelle, Sister Moonshine, or whatever it was, um, uh-huh. you know, not being, uh, not having a name, and not therefore kind of not being a person. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. sort of the idea that you're given, and and she accepts that, and if, and and we get that from the other right, the old people who are walking around saying, "I'm no one. I'm no one." They've yeah. they've given up. They've not they really truly believe that at that point. Um, and it's yeah. for Buffy to say, which is interesting the way too, that she wears it. Cause she says, any of you who are tired of this, you know, come on, follow me. Like yeah. there's still action required on the part of those other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like now right. she, now Buffy, there, there's an interesting aspect there because like, I, and I like what you, what you said before, kind of how, how, you know, talking about the people who have like this vacuum now and, and the idea being that when there is a vacuum, something's going to come in and fill it. Mm. And it's, it's up to Buffy to say, I'm going to be that something that like, follow me, you know, you, you people, like I'm taking, I'm beating the crap out of these demon things here. 
now yeah. follow me. Like, cause if you didn't, then what more would just come along and scoop them up. Yeah. And it's sure. But it, there's also then the aspect of not just doing everything for them. It's saying you do have to follow me. Like you, I can't, I'm not going to carry you out of here. Like yeah. you have to come along and yeah. Oh, by the way, um, like when she, when she sort of tells Zilly, um, while they're running away, she's like, you can do this. Like it's giving them, empowering them, you know, in a way, yeah. you know, and saying, this is not like, don't just let me do all the fighting. You can actually do something yourself. May, even if you're not as strong as me, even if you're not as used to fighting demons as me, you know, whatever experience, like you can still do something. And, and, and that's sort of the, at the end where Buffy is giving her, you know, her apartment and her job and her name yeah. effectively, you right. know, and, and Lily says, I'm not that good at taking care of myself. And Buffy says, well, it gets easier, but it takes practice. And that's the thing is it does take practice. And if you don't practice at it, you'll lose it. <laughs> you know, it's, there's right. still and it, and it, action required. And it would be, it can't and it be would be, it would be wrong for Buffy to, you know, it's not Buffy's responsibility to take care of Lily. That what she does is to, you know, give her a boost and help her out. And but it's Lily is going to sink or swim on her own mm-hmm. volition, right? Like you don't know yet. We, I mean, I don't know the next time we see her, what kind of state she'll be in, whether she continues as she has been or whether she takes you know, takes this as the starting point of a new, you know, way of living, you know, that's going to be her decision. Um, and Buffy's given her the means to do that, but it's, it's not up to Buffy to, you know, as, as it wasn't up to Buffy to carry Lily out of the thing, it's not up to her to carry her, you know, indefinitely either. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's got, but you also get that too when, uh, when Lily pushes Ken off the, <laughs> I love that moment because it's she's so like she's so polite about yeah, it. She, it's sort of tentative, but she just kind of yeah. does it. It's just like boom. Yeah, right there. and and there's that thing of again, you know, Buffy does have independence and agency, but she can't do it all on her own. Right. That it takes Lily just that teeny little shove makes all the difference, mm-hmm. and then. You know, and Buffy can take it from there. But she needs that little assist. Mm. Um, you know, so that's kind of a, you know, you need Lily to sign to kind of be even ever so slightly empowered in that moment right. for them to get anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they were they were dead to rights. Buffy even had given up at that point because she didn't want Lily to die or any of the yeah. rest of them to die. Um, yeah. So you're right. It. I mean, it. In that moment, Lily is the one who becomes the Slayer. I mean, even right. though Ken doesn't die, he comes back. You know, a minute later. But, um, right. <laughs> you know, she she is the empowered person at that one. Who, if she doesn't act, endangers them all. Um, right. And that's what you get. I like her taking the name Anne at the end. It doesn't feel like just another assumed name that she's using to hide herself. It feels like an empowerment. You know, she says, can I be Anne? Like, 
this is someone, this is a role. Anne is someone who is someone to aspire to be. It's, Anne is um, someone who can take care of herself. Yeah. And Lily so, <laughs> exactly. So you kind of get a little hint of that. She might be able to turn her life around if she takes, you know, if she assumes Anne, you know, the ideal of Anne more than just the name of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so and apparently Gandhi, if he's pissed off, yes, is you know, rather violent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of invoking names that have right, power right. and self sufficiency and <laughs> right. well, yeah, if he's pissed off, if he was really pissed off. Um, before we go to talk about the Sunnydale crowd, uh, mm. I do want to bring up. So you 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 mentioned real briefly, like you're not sure what to call the sort of underground oh yeah whatever um so the impl- so this goes back to this is kind of why i sort of wanted to hammer in the idea of um the sort of the retconning to hell being a different dimension and there being more of a multiverse idea here this is definitely a demon dimension slash hell slash whatever you want to call that um and of course and and ken sort of plays on that right well what do you call hell isn't it just a place where there's despair or whatever and and you know no hope yeah. um we do get the idea that time works differently here i know i love that little that that kind of fairy element that you cross the portal and time moves differently and when you come back yeah it's either gone slower or faster than your own yeah time. although it's it's consistent with this yeah, with, sure. with this yeah, particular yeah. one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I do want to be clear that this is not the same hell that Angel got sucked into. So like it's So we can imagine that vampire dimension is one thing, but there are many other possible Well, I don't even know that there. Angel got sucked into a vampire dimension. Because it was okay. Akathla who was a demon, mm. not a vampire. Okay. So like Okay. There are numerous. There are there are many dimensions, yeah. and and this is one that we happen to now have seen. We didn't even. I mean, we didn't see, you know, whatever dimension Akathla was sucking people into. Um, we right. just saw that he was sucking, trying to suck people into it. <laughs> right. Um, right. So. Right, but here we but, actually. But this but is we actually, actually crosses into another dimension. Right. This is actually a different dimension, and and the things <laughs> down there are demons of a type um but it's not yeah like again it's not the same one so i just i just want to sort of say that explicitly so that there's no confusion um since we did sort of just talk about that whole you know more multiverse idea uh behind that and and we'll and there are other dimensions and things that we'll encounter in various ways throughout um the buffy verse in both buffy and angel um any other thing we didn't spend a whole lot of time on ken any anything you want to say about him before we jump over to i think i think we covered everything in talking about his sort of dimension and everything cool i will note um that ken is played by carl carlos jacot or jacket i'm not sure how to pronounce his last name um Uh who is one of a very few i think like five maybe six actors who appear in Buffy, Angel, and Firefly. 
um, in Firefly, he is in the uh, initial um, episode, Serenity. He plays Lawrence Dobson, who is the uh, Alliance shill um, who, who makes right. it onto the Firefly ship. So um, for anyone who may have recognized him, he, he's also he's been a bunch of other stuff. He's he's been, he was in Seinfeld. He he was in a number of movies being John Malkovich. He was in he was in Gross Point Blank, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, so anyway, just uh, want to point him out. He's, he's one of those actors who who gets around. He is also an angel, as I mentioned, um, plays a different character altogether. So you will recognize his face, but he doesn't like like he's dead. <laughs> you know, Buffy killed yes, him yes. here. So like this right, character, it's, it's character, not like this yeah. character comes back um, or anything. Yeah. So yeah. Um, just want to point that out. Anyway. Yeah. So on to Sunnydale. Yes. Uh, where would you like to start there? There's there's a few places we could go. Well, um, I think let's start with just the whole idea that they are continuing to fight the fight mm. while Buffy is in absence. And I that is a great opening sequence of the three of them trying to take down this vampire. <laughs> who Willow, is apparently a classmate. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is a, gym, a gymnast. Um, Willow's kind of lame quips. Um, and Xander kind of bumbling. And Oz's hilarious throw of the stage, yeah. which just bounces off of and, the gravestone. And- so Oz is such a, you know, laid back, like sort of smooth guy. And you like, yeah. you're expecting it to work. You really, really hope that it's going to work. <laughs> and then as soon as it doesn't, you're like, well, actually, that is the funniest thing ever. So it's kind of worth it for that laugh. <laughs> um, really, really funny. Yeah. Um, and I like how they're all critiquing each other's performance. Yes. Like, you know, like, well, that, that what you said was stupid or why didn't you, you know, why were you so clumsy or whatever, you know, like they're all, you know, just annoyed at each other that nobody's as good at this as Buffy. And I like that they, not just her fighting skill, but they, they miss her ability to pun. They miss her wit. (laughs) We took her punning for granted that (laughs) it's not just about her ability to kill vampires, but the, her, the manner in which she does it. Her smoothness and what her humor and everything. So, um, yeah, I love, and they're they're like pitching lines to Willow for like the yeah, next time yeah. that it right. It, it this time it's personal. There's a reason it's a classic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that is a hilarious uh, opening scene, and yeah. and of course, I mean, it gives you that sort of initial fake out until you the, hear, of Willow's, hear Willow's voice. yeah. Um, when you right. just see two legs there and, and the vampire coming yeah. up and you expect it to be Buffy like yeah yeah so yeah so yeah no that's a it's a good thing um well and then right. and then and, they and go maybe, out again and maybe a sign that Willow has a little more confidence that at least she's trying you know that or she or does together have... as a team yeah that... no yeah so yeah well no that's a good point and I did want to mention that because it's you do see that that Buffy has. Like, obviously, we see the sort of explicit empowerment that we just talked about in Lily. But, like, now Buffy's gone in Sunnydale. So you see that. And it's not the first time that we've seen any of them go up. Like, we did we did sort of see um, when when Buffy was in the hospital, right? Uh, when yeah, when, when yeah, they were kind of, like, 
you know, oh, we'll watch out for her. We'll watch. And Xander stands up to Angel and stuff. So, like, yeah. that has been sort of coming along all together. But now this is, like... Right, but they really seem no, like a team and unified. Yeah, there's... They're, like, they know Buffy probably isn't going to show up here. Like, this isn't, like, yeah. we just need to hold off the vampire until Buffy gets here anymore or, you know, whatever. Like, she's been gone for months, literally. Yeah. And, and they appear to be doing this quite frequently if not every yeah. night um you know at yeah. least most nights and so um very interesting um what did you think of xander's solution to their vampire catching problem of using corgi as bait <laughs> i think it's all just part of his ploy to get cordy you know get her well that's really funny when they're both um, excited to see each other and nervous. And then they're so nervous that they just blow it and are totally awkward and annoyed. And then they're both angry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they're both angry. But yeah, I think then it's rather convenient that his idea is to use her as bait. Like let's think up a, an excuse to get her to tag along and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, maybe put her in a position where he gets to come to the rescue and <laughs> look like a little bit. Well, you get you be bait, and I'll be right. I'll be the hero that that swans in and and saves you and everything. So, Which in a way you know. works, but Which in a completely then inverts because she ends up saving him, and right. then they're just all over each other. Well, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So it's it was pretty funny. It's convenient that the stake disintegrates as well. Um, yeah, it doesn't impale him. Yeah. Or, or her. her falling on top yeah. of yeah right um, yeah yeah no I mean it's it's a it's a pretty funny setup all of that yeah and we get the and we get the the swelling music again when they <laughs> right, when when they finally make out yeah <laughs> um um and Cordy says you know I'm doing this for Buffy not not for you and if you know that's good of her cordy wouldn't have always have done this for buffy but also maybe she kind of wants to tag along too right, and right. you know yeah I, it it there, there's definitely she's there because she wants to be there right you know um and then well to talk about the other couple uh oz and and willow <laughs> oz is remember when i had summer school remember when i didn't go <laughs> but he's so and Seth Green gets promoted to full time cast member. I noticed he's in the yes, he's in the, the credits, credits now. now. And um, and yes, and, he does and have he a more... is with them because he is repeating twelfth grade. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of right. There, there. There's a convenience there, but um. Yeah, but we've also established that he's not the most motivated student. So that's within character. <laughs> yeah. As well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and how he has no desire to get a job so this puts off the job search for a, a year yeah right because otherwise you, i like when willow says i get out at three and that's when you get up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah works out perfectly so um and willow is kind of annoyed by this because she knows he's smarter than that uh yeah so she's annoyed a in little, a willow fashion yeah, yeah a l I, I i it's hard to even call it a strain on their relationship they actually seem you know her disapproval is pretty minor um and they're really you know they don't really seem to be having any real argument about it it's more just haggling over whether his failure is cute or 
disappointing or cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean... I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway. It's... But yes, I mean, ultimately, it's an excuse to have Oz continue. Uh, Oz clearly is a likable character, so they yeah. kept him on, and, and he will we'll see him more in season three than we did in season two, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so I guess Giles and Joyce are the uh, mm. last uh, pair, not yeah, a cu- right. not a couple, that, but, you know, no. uh, pair of... of uh, Characters that we need to discuss. Yeah, so, definitely not. Not definitely not that because Joyce is not none too happy with Giles at yeah. the moment. Well, um, and and so I mean Giles clearly feels guilty too. So we have to yeah. wonder how much his own thoughts are sort of mirrored uh, in mm-hmm. Joyce's words because so we get the idea that he's been trying to track down Buffy pretty consistently yeah. since she's left and has. You know, he he goes, he gets a lead in Oakland, I think it is, right? And so he goes up there and, and, or, you know, trying to find out um, if it is Buffy. Turns out not to be. It's just apparently a bunch of goth dressed teenagers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, uh, like, you wouldn't, I mean, so he's his watcher. So there's probably a certain sense of responsibility there. But it seems like in doing that, there's also a certain amount of guilt behind it. Yeah. At least that's yeah. the way I see it. I think, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he definitely feels responsibility for her. So when he says to Joyce, you know, you mustn't blame yourself, uh, she says she doesn't. You know, that she blames him. And he doesn't really protest that. Mm. Um, I mean, he, you know, she says that she feels like he's taken Buffy away from her, from Joyce. Yeah. But he doesn't protest that so much as that he, he, he says, I didn't make Buffy who she is. Right. Uh, You know, which is not answering her complaints that right, right. that he had an influence on her and that he's been guiding her and had this relationship with her and didn't tell Joyce. Well, and it's interesting that he says, I didn't make her who she is because I think what he means by that is he almost means I didn't make her what she is, which is that I didn't say, I didn't decide to make Buffy a slayer. You know, mm. that she has this destiny, which I didn't choose for her. But when he says, I didn't make her who she is, and Joyce comes right back and says, and who exactly is she? That's more a question of character. That's not necessarily about what kind of destiny or what kind of responsibility was put on her, but how much of her character and choices are really hers and how much is that being shaped by Giles, you know, that, you know, it's not just that she has this, you know, uh, status as a vampire slayer without Joyce knowing it, but that she has a major relationship, you know, which is influencing her that Joyce doesn't know about, you know, so 
Joyce isn't, I mean, I'm sure Joyce is having to come to terms with the idea of the vampire slayer, but she's also having to come to terms with what kind of person is Buffy growing up to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, so, she so, made, she, and she doesn't know at this point because we've seen how much their relationship yeah. is undeveloped because of the secrets that are kept from each other. Yeah. So she may not even really feel like she knows Buffy, you know, mm. if she could, if she could hide this entire life from her, then what kind of person is she at all? You know, well, and Joyce it's, might have no idea. Right. And it's not the first time that Joyce has discovered there's a secret relationship yeah. or secret something going on. Yeah. Um, so, which would exacerbate the problem, you know, it's, it's, it would compound it. Um, it seems to me. So. So I think that's a question to kind of go into in the third. And I don't mean that in like a sinister way, like, you know, that Buffy's going to turn out to be, you know, who we don't think she is or whatever. But like, that's, I think. No, I think we know. As we continue with this theme of, as we continue with the theme of becoming, you know, who is Buffy and what kind of person is she? Sure. Growing up to be. I mean, and I think this episode demonstrates that she's a very good person, you know, and that she's actually growing into a very capable one. But it's kind of an interesting way to start the season by asking that question. Yeah, no, definitely. And and yeah, I mean, I don't think because we know, I think, who Buffy is, or at least I mean. Yeah. Seems better, better, better than, better than, than Joyce. Joyce does. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so it's, so you're right. I don't think the question is like who, who is Buffy so much in that respect, but how, how, who she is affects her relationship with her mother. Mm. Um, now that her mother knows something of it more closer, <laughs> you know, uh, more closer, something closer to what <laughs> Buffy, uh, yeah, actually is. So anyway, yeah. Um, well, okay. I guess we will see how that pans out. Sounds good. Cool. Well, um, all right. Well then I guess that's it for now and we will be back next week. All right. See you then.